This episode is sponsored by Peebles for the People. On Easter morning in 1994, at the D&W convenience store in the rural upstate New York town of New Haven, 18-year-old Heidi Allen was seen for the last time. Where was she taken, and why? Who was responsible? In the immediate aftermath of Heidi Allen's kidnapping, police quickly identified Gary Thibodeau as the prime suspect. And even though there was no physical or forensic evidence and no eyewitnesses linking him to the crime, they were able to secure a conviction. As Gary sat in prison, these central questions, where was Heidi and why was she taken, still lingered. This is the story of a young girl taken and presumably murdered in the prime of her life. It is the story of a justice system that can oftentimes fail the innocent people brought before it. It is the story of violent men with drug money and scores to settle. And it is the story of police departments protecting themselves at the expense of the truth. This is Peebles for the People. Peebles for the People, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Underdog Podcast Network, will be available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your favorite show on July 6th. Subscribe today to make sure you don't miss an episode. There were two more murders 15 miles away. We have a weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. There are some killers who, upon looking at their lives, you are shocked to find that they simply snapped and began killing. Others, like Peter Dupas, born July 6th, 1953, lived a heinous life, just seemed to continually escalate in a way that murder just seemed like the next natural progression. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Peter Dupas, born on July 6th, 1953, into what has been described as a, quote, fairly normal family in Australia. And it seemed to stay that way until October 3rd, 1968, when, at just 15 years old, Peter borrowed a knife from a neighbor to peel some vegetables. That same woman was then stabbed in the face, neck, and hands as she attempted to fight off the young teen. He didn't know why he did it, but he couldn't help himself. He was given 18 months probation and admitted to a psychiatric hospital for evaluation. After just two weeks, he was released. Just a year later, the mortuary of a local hospital was broken into, and the bodies of two elderly women were mutilated post-mortem and left with a strange wound on their thighs. The attacks on these women would later aid in Peter's capture years down the road. On July 25, 1974, Peter was sentenced to nine years in prison after attacking a woman inside of her home. He had tied her up with a cord and raped the married woman, threatening to harm her baby if she resisted him. According to the sentencing judge, hers was one of the, quote, worst rapes that could be imagined. A prison psychiatrist claimed that, due to his constant denial of his criminal activity, Peter Dupas suffered from a serious psychosexual problem. Despite this, he was released in 1979 and just two months later began a 10-day spree where he molested four separate women, for which he served another five-year prison sentence for three charges of assault with the intent to rape, malicious wounding, assault with the intent to rob, and indecent assault. He was again released in 1985 and just a month later raped a 21-year-old woman on a beach in Blair Gallery and sentenced to 12 years in prison. 
he was released after just seven. Two years after his release, he was arrested for false imprisonment after holding a woman at knife point before being chased off by her friend. He entered a guilty plea and was given just three years and nine months. He was released in September of 1966 after two. In all of these attacks, though vicious and horrible, the female victim was able to walk away with her life. But as it's plain to see, Peter Dupas was simply spending time in and out of prisons and escalating his crimes with each sentence. Then came the day when the victim would not simply walk away. Nicole Amanda Patterson was a 28-year-old psychotherapist and youth counselor who had a desire to open her own private practice out of her North Coat home. To drum up clientele, she placed an ad in the local newspaper, an ad that Peter Dupas answered. On April 19, 1999, a friend arrived at Nicole's home prepared to attend a dinner engagement together. When she approached the home, she found that the door was unlocked and music was playing inside. When she walked in, she found her friend lying in the front room, naked and mutilated. She had been stabbed 27 times and still had small pieces of leftover tape attached to her body. Both of her breasts had been removed and her purse and license were both missing. On her thigh was a strange wound, not unlike those on the mutilated bodies back in 1969. Looking into her clients as potential suspects, police found that her last appointment was with a new client who had been named Malcolm. But when they traced the number, it went to an Indian student at La Trobe University by the name of Harry. Through Harry, they were able to connect the dots and land on Peter Dupas, a man they were well acquainted with. He was arrested on April 22, 1999, in connection to Nicole Patterson's murder. They found that in the three months prior to her death, Peter called Patterson on three separate occasions to arrange a meeting. He claimed he was suffering from depression and a gambling addiction, and over the course of six weeks did his best to establish a rapport with this woman. He made her believe he was vulnerable, and she believed him, up until it was too late. On August 22, 2000, after just three hours of deliberation, the jury found Peter Dupas guilty and sentenced him to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Now, with his sentence came the very important step of adding his DNA to the system. And once they did that, another story began to unfold. Margaret Mayer, 40, was a sex worker in Melbourne who was last seen alive on October 4, 1997. Her body was later found under a cardboard box, having been beaten, stabbed, and had her left breast removed and placed into her mouth. Sound familiar? A glove was left behind that contained DNA, Peter's DNA. So while already serving his life sentence, Peter Dupas was yet again arrested for murder and yet again received a life sentence. The judge at his trial said that, based on his repeated violent offenses, there was no prospect for rehabilitation. And there was no doubt that he was right. Because in 2006, Peter Dupas would be connected to yet another brutal slaying. On November 1st, 1997, 25-year-old Mercina Halvagas was murdered while visiting her grandmother's grave in a cemetery near where Peter lived. Her body, found four days later by her fiancé, showed signs that she had been attacked from behind while laying flowers on the grave. She had been stabbed 87 times, mostly to her breasts, and had her clothing pulled up over her head. 
A number of witnesses placed Peter at the scene, but not definitive enough for his arrest. And when her wounds were compared with his other two victims, the coroner said that there was insufficient evidence to connect the same murder weapon, or assailant, to this crime. However, after an inquest in August of 2006 ruled that Peter would be charged with her murder and a 22-day trial, Peter Dupas was found guilty in 2007 and sentenced to his third life term. Peter is suspected of three other murders, that of Helen McMahon in 1985, Renita Bruton in 1993, and Kathleen Downs in 1997, whose murder he was charged for but was not brought to trial. But in the end, who knows how many deaths this monster is responsible for. Currently, Peter Dupas is serving his sentences in maximum security where, despite his many suicide attempts, he is considered a model prisoner. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on July 7th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Stay safe.